Thanks for joining us as we explore the good news of Jesus and his kingdom in the Gospel of Mark. For discussion guides and details about how to join us on Sundays, please visit fairoaks.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you this morning. Hello to those watching online. We're glad that you're gathering with us as well. Uh, If you've got a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Mark chapter 4? We've got a great story before us today. Um, And I know you might be like, don't you have to say that every week? Um, I don't have to, but I will say that uh, because there's nothing like learning about Jesus. But I think today's a particularly great story because um, this is a story that we're looking at that is simple enough that a child can get it. In fact, um, our kids that you just saw go back to children's ministry, they're going to be learning about Jesus from this same story. So if you have kids in children's ministry this morning, today would be a great day to ask, would you learn about Jesus today? They're going to give you the, I don't know, right? We're kind of going through this in our home. How is school? Good. Uh, But you'll know how to draw them out because you've been in the same story as they have. So today's a great opportunity. I encourage you parents to continue the conversation with your children at home. If you're watching online, if you go to the uh, worship guide, you'll find discussion guide. And at the bottom, there's a recommended resource where you can get uh, children's lessons for this message. So a great opportunity to connect with your kids because this is a story that's simple enough that a child can get it. And at the same time, This is a story that is profound enough, it is big enough that it can transform your life no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. I know um, I I had opportunity to share about this message earlier this week um, at a senior center. I had some people looking at me like, um, I've been walking with Jesus longer than you've been alive. And what's great about this story is it is profound, it is big, and so no matter how you walk in here, maybe this is your first time at church, maybe you've been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive, uh, this is a story that can radically transform your life right where you're at this morning. Are you ready? All right, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, let's go. On that day... This is the day we looked at last week where Jesus was teaching in parables. On that day, when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and they took him along since he was in the boat and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. So they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? So here's where we pick up the story of Jesus today. Uh, Jesus has just finished teaching the crowds. We looked at this last week. um, And it was a long day of teaching out in the sun in the Middle East. So if you could just use your imagination, Jesus has been teaching this crowd all day. He is exhausted. And uh, what I I don't want you to miss as we go through Mark, I just want to point this out, um, is that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And this is one of those places where we see the humanity of Jesus, that after teaching the crowd for the entire day, he got tired. And and so... um, I just, I just never want us to, I think sometimes in church we can envision Jesus like a, a human terminator where he's like God on the inside and puts some flesh on the outside to just look human, but he doesn't actually know what it's like to go through what it means to be fully human. And the Bible's just going to say on repeat that Jesus experienced the fullness of what it means to be human. He experienced... Um, 
what it means to have a long day of work and be tired at the end of a day of work. And so uh, if you have ever been tired from a long day of work, Jesus gets you. If you're tired right now from a long day of work, Jesus gets you. And he is exhausted from preaching to the crowds. And so he goes back into the back of the boat and he takes a nap. And, and that's where things really pick up. He falls asleep on the cushion, and Mark tells us it began real calm. They're rowing. There's other boats in the water, meaning it was not a choppy day on the Sea of Galilee. And as they row out there, out of nowhere comes this great windstorm. Um, now, uh, I don't know about you. My imagination is somewhat lacking. So I envision a great windstorm like we had last week here, like stuff's kind of blowing around, notes are flying all over the place. Um, the word in the original language is used in other Greek Greek literature to describe basically a hurricane. So I don't know what comes to mind for you, but I want you to realize that these disciples who are professional fishermen by trade, meaning they're no stranger to this sea, they think they're going to die. So this is a great windstorm. This is a powerful hurricane. This is gale force winds terrifying them. The, the boat begins to flood and they fear for their lives. And I just want to point this out. The disciples, it's not like they've done anything wrong at this point in the story. Like, in fact, did you notice they did what Jesus told them? Jesus, tired after a long day of teaching, said, hey, let's put out for the other side. And so they get out there obeying Jesus and what comes but a storm. And the reason that I point this out is because some of you have been taught um, that if I follow Jesus, life will be all smooth sailing. Uh, and I just want to point this out because, um, yeah, the only problem with that idea is the Bible. Uh, the disciples do exactly what Jesus say. They are following Jesus. Jesus is literally there in the boat with them. And in out of nowhere comes this incredible storm. See, uh, storms in life will come, and there can be all kinds of storms in life. They can be physical, which is what we're looking at today, um, but there can be different kinds of storms in our life. There can be financial storms. Um, I think some of us experienced that over the past year, uh, related to maybe a vocational storm, like your job, the thing you were depending on, it's completely gone, and all of a sudden, it was smooth sailing, like end of 2019, you're going into 2020 with all these goals for the year. There's other ships on the water. You're like, this is is going to be awesome. And then out of nowhere comes these gale force winds and there's a storm of life. Um, for others of you, it could be um, relational storms, um, or someone that you just love. It's just not going well with them. Um, others of you, they could be physical storms. I don't know what the storms of your life are. Uh, again, we kind of saw this over the last year. It could be a wicked combination. Like, I don't know, say a global pandemic in an election year. See, storms in life will come. Uh, the Bible tells us we shouldn't be surprised if storms in life come. And what we see in the Bible is sometimes storms come because of foolish decisions, which aren't necessarily sinful. They're just dumb, like we weren't being wise. Sometimes storms come because of sinful decisions that actively bring things upon us. But frankly, sometimes storms just come and we didn't do anything, just like the disciples here. They're obeying Jesus. They row out onto the water and then out of nowhere, the storm comes. See, storms in life will come, and the question is, when this happens, what do you do? What do you do when the storms of life come? And in this story, we see two basic responses. Um, the first is a very natural response. It's a response I think we've all experienced. It's the response of fear. 
So the disciples, again, professional fishermen, see these winds. They go, we've never seen anything like this before. We're going to die. That's their conclusion. They are um, freaking out. Now, how many of you said that over the last year, either in your heart or out loud? We're going to die. The disciples... That they panic, they fear. And in their panic, they wake Jesus up. And in so doing, I think they reveal what's maybe a fear underneath the fear, a deeper fear in their life. Um, look again at verse 38. Listen to their um, question. They say, teacher, don't you care that we're gonna die? Don't, don't you care? Do you hear the fear in there? It's... It's maybe this Jesus who called us by name, who promised to transform us and lead us into a new life, who has shown the power to heal and to cast out demons and is claiming to bring God's kingdom to earth. Maybe this Jesus isn't who we thought he was. Maybe this Jesus doesn't care about us after all. Do you hear the fear there? Don't you care that we are going to die? These are the same disciples that Jesus has pursued, has called by name, has shown a type of grace and an acceptance to that the broader society knew nothing of. And yet the second the storm comes, all of that goes out the window. Mark chapter one, two, three, and four, verses one to 34, they go out the window and they downshift into, you must not care about us if you're allowing this storm to happen to us. See, I love how honest the Bible is. Because real talk, how many of you have been there? How many of you have had a storm come in your life, and no matter how faithful God has been, no matter how good God has been, no matter what God has done for you in the past, no matter what you know theologically about God, the storm of life comes and the heart downshifts to, God, don't you care? See, see, that's where the disciples are. I think this is the deeper fear because the storms of life, they have a way of exposing the fears and doubts of our hearts that we might not intellectually put on a piece of paper. We might not put on our Facebook profile if it said, um, what is your religious belief? Christian on some days, doubtful on other days, not sure. Uh, We would never state it that way, but the storms of life have a way of drawing out what's really going on underneath the hood of our lives. That yes, we trust Jesus. Yes, we love Jesus. But if we're honest, we're a mixture of fear and faith. We're, we're a mixed bag, and the storms of life have a way of drawing out those fears, drawing out those doubts. I mean, we talked about this when we went through Habakkuk, right? Like, how many of us said in the last year, God, where are you? Do you care? Are you able to stop this? Do you not want to stop this? Have, are you asleep at the wheel? Are you asleep in the boat like Jesus is here? I think sometimes that's our vision of the triune God, is he's asleep at the wheel, and here we are just trying to man down the forts. See, the storms of life have a way of drawing up our fears and doubts. And I think the reason that we feel this way is because underneath these fears and doubts, we have this belief that God would have us avoid the storms of life if he possibly could. If God were paying attention, he would never let us steer into this storm. And yet, what we see here is God is in the boat, he is in the storm with them, and he has very different plans for them than sparing them from the storm. Look at verse 39. He got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, silence, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a great calm. 
Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind in the sea obey him. So uh, they wake Jesus up. They say, Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus gets up and, and he does. It's interesting. He doesn't talk to the disciples first. He talks to the weather. Now, some of you have talked to the weather before, like, come on, but it doesn't listen to you. Jesus he, he rebukes the weather. He speaks to it like an out of control child, like silence, be still. And the crazy thing is that when he opens his mouth, the, the wind and the waves, they've heard that voice before. And instantly the great windstorm gives way to a great calm. Now, again, I, I've shared with you, uh, I don't have the best imagination. I'm, I probably need to read more fiction to work on. I just want you to close your eyes and picture the moment that you're on a, a fishing boat, like a first century fishing boat, not like a big cruise ship that's got this ballast when the storm comes. Like you are in a first century fishing boat and all of a sudden gale force winds come upon you and there is a storm and you can close your eyes right now if you want to. And just out of nowhere, this great storm comes and you can't see anything. The ship's starting to flood. Your professional fishermen friends are freaking out. And so you're, you're, okay, I'm about to die. I am about to die. And in a panic, you wake up Jesus and Jesus gets up and he doesn't talk to you. He doesn't respond to you. He just looks out at the waves and says, silence, be still. And then out of nowhere, the wind and the waves give way to a glassy, calm sea. Would you be freaked out? The disciples were because for as powerful as this storm is that caused them to think they were going to die, they just witnessed a power greater than the storm. They just witnessed someone speak to the wind and the waves and the wind and the waves bow at his command and do what seems impossible. Like even in a normal circumstance, if the storm stops, typically the sea would continue to be choppy for a little while, right? But Jesus speaks and a great calm comes over the whole place. And the disciples are terrified. And, and, and you see it in their question. Um, they say this. They say, who, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? See, according to the Bible, there's one answer to that question. Um, is, is modern people, we don't think about the wind and the waves a lot other than to like surf on them or to have fun on them. But in the ancient world, they thought a lot about the wind and the waves. In the ancient world, uh, we talked about this week one of Mark, water was viewed as a sign of death. It was this great power that no one could contain, no one could control. And so you just kind of have to hope it's not going to wipe you out. And what's interesting is the Bible from page one says that um, God created everything, that God separated the water from the land, that the God of the Bible has a type of power over this untamed wild force that everyone else in the world fears. The Bible from page one says, yeah, that's a pretty good power, second only to God, who separates the waves from the land and brings out dry land. And if you go a couple of pages down in the Bible, 
you'll see things go very badly very quickly once humans get involved. Um, and there's this terrible moment where all humanity is just sinning all of the time, bringing brokenness into God's good world. And so what God does uh, in the story of Noah and the ark, which I don't know why, this is one that we love to do in kids ministry, which I'm like, have you read the story? Everybody dies, except for a few animals and, and a guy that is maybe not the best dude. But in, in the story of Noah and the ark, um, God graciously saves one family from this moment where he takes his finger off and he allows the water and the waves to consume the land again. It's like an act of decreation. Whereas in Genesis one, he's separating the water from the lands to create space for humanity to flourish. After human sinfulness destroys the world, he takes his finger off and he lets the waters come in and consume the land again. See, uh, the first book of the Bible talks a lot about God being sovereign over the powers of the waves. And then you get to the second book of the Bible and you see an evil empire uh, captures God's people and enslaves them. And what God does as part of this mighty rescue is he takes them out of Egypt and they get backed up against the Red Sea and they're like laughing at him because they're like, well, it's our army and the terrible forces of the deep behind you. And God steps in. Some of you know the story. And he opens the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land. This is a consistent theme of the Bible, that the God of the Bible is the one who is able to control the waves in the sea. If you get to the book of the Psalms, which is the prayer book of God's people, you'll see again and again and again throughout the Psalms, the psalmist praises God for having control over the waves and over the seas. Uh, if you don't believe me, look at Psalm 107 this week, uh, verses 23 to 29. Uh, it, it, it almost feels like a little on the nose for this text. It talks about how God tells the wind and the waves what to do, and he can stir them up and he can calm them down anytime he wants. This is what the Bible says, that God has the power over the wind and the waves. Um, and then even the prophets testify to this. There's this uh, crazy book in the Old Testament called the book of Jonah. And um, in this story, you get uh, a prophet that God says, hey, I love these people. I want you to go tell them about the redemption and the grace that I will make available to them. And Jonah goes, no, nah, I don't like those people. They don't vote like me. They don't think like me. They don't look like me. I don't want to go tell them. And God's like, that's an interesting decision. I still want to save them anyway. And so Jonah, he runs from God's plans. And what God does is he stirs up a great windstorm to literally take the guy off of his path from running from God and telling others about his grace to put him back on mission to tell other people about his grace. Are you picking up the idea here? The Bible says that God is the one who controls the wind and the waves. God alone is the one that can tame this great force. And so when Jesus speaks and the waters act like they've heard that voice before, the disciples are freaking out because they go, um, they've been calling him teacher in the text. Um, they've been seeing him as this, maybe this religious guy that has some good things to say about God's kingdom. And I want you to notice, it's not while they're on the safety of the shore that they see who Jesus really is. It's out there in the midst of the storm with the waves crashing down that they begin to see he's not a mere teacher. He is the one who controls the wind and the waves. He is the Lord of the storms and the only one worth being praised. It's not on the safety of the land that they have this realization. It's out there in the storm. And I think that's no accident. And, and I would just say this. If, um, 
if it's true, because some of you, you're here, you're checking out Jesus, and, and, and you would say, okay, if that's true, if Jesus is the Lord of the storms, if Jesus is uh, the God of the Bible uh, who can really control the created order because he created it and work it for a good and redemptive purpose, if that's true, then that's got to change how we would experience the storms of life, right? Uh, that's certainly Jesus's perspective. Notice um, Jesus didn't wake up and say, oh my goodness, fellas, I'm so sorry. I fell asleep at the wheel. My bad. Let me go deal with this storm and then we'll come back and chat. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't wake up and go, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe I let this storm happen. Like I am, oh man, I'll, I'll try better guys. I'll try to be better. What Jesus does is he wakes up, he talks to the storm and then he says, okay guys, let's chat. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Do any of you feel challenged that that's Jesus's response? Like, why are you afraid? Um, I, I, I've been just trying to put myself in the disciples' shoes, which by the way, you're going to feel this way when we go through Mark. You're going to be like, those dum-dums, don't they know who Jesus is? That's because you have the benefit of hindsight and you're reading about this in the book with the power of the Holy Spirit, looking at someone else's life. It's always easier to look in someone else's life and be like, come on, dum-dum, than it is to be honest about your own. So anytime you feel yourself going, oh, come on, guys, try to put yourself in their shoes. I've been trying to do that this week. And it, it occurs to me that um, when Jesus says, why are you afraid? That their response might be, um, I don't know, gale force winds, uh, the great hurricane, like the great windstorm. Like, why are you afraid? Why are you not afraid? Why are you not freaking out? Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Where, where is your faith? And, and see, that's the second response. That's the response that Jesus came to enable and to make possible for people. This is the response that Jesus believed that after relationship with him, they had had enough, uh, they'd seen enough to experience it. And so I want to now talk about the response of faith. We've talked about the response of fear, about freaking out, about focusing on the storm. Jesus says that's one option. You can be afraid, but the other option is you can have faith. And before we talk about faith, um, I want to talk about what faith is not, because I think in a lot of ways we've been sold a counterfeit. Um, faith in the storm is not fake optimism. Are you with me? I, I think we all know this person, Ned Flanders. Just like life can be crashing down and how's it going? You show up at church, like, how do you do? It's great. Is, is that faith? Um, if that's faith, then again, to go back to what we saw in the book of Habakkuk, uh, the Bible paints a very different definition of faith. Faith is not fake optimism. It's not ignoring the struggles of life. It's not ignoring the storms and the difficulties and then walking into church and pretending like everything's okay when it's certainly not okay. Um, faith doesn't mean to deny the difficulty of the storm that you're going through. Um, and can I, um, I, I feel like I need to say this, faith also doesn't mean pretending the storm isn't happening. Um, so one of the common things that can unfortunately happen in church is when great evil is being um, enacted on a person, sometimes it'll be like, well, you have to pretend that's not the case because that's messy and we don't know what to do with that. And that's certainly not what the Bible talks about. So I, I don't know what the storms of your life are, but um, if someone is sinning against you and harming you in a way uh, that would... Um, 
dehumanize you. Like the Bible doesn't say just suck it up and pretend it's not happening. In fact, the Bible's going to say elsewhere, come forth, get help, come to a safe place um, because God is for you and he is not okay with what's happening to you. So this is not saying to cover up storms or to cover up sin or to pretend it's not happening. Faith is not a call to deny suffering, but it is a call to recognize who is in the boat with you. Listen again to Jesus' response. I just want to read these words and uh, let's think about them. He says, after calming the wind and the waves, he says to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Um, Why are you afraid? I said it earlier. I'm starting to get kind of sympathetic for these guys. Why are you afraid? Well, I don't know, Jesus. You were kind of out for this one. But before you woke up, it was crazy out here. Why are you afraid? Do you still not have faith? Jesus is saying, haven't I given you enough evidence of my message? Haven't I given you enough evidence that the brokenness of this world doesn't get the last word, that God's kingdom in rule and reign is invading the darkness of this place? Haven't I given, haven't, like, do you remember the demons? Did I struggle with them? Do you, do you remember the guy whose hand was withered? Did I struggle to heal and to restore that? Like what would make you think that this would be any different? Do you still not have faith? Do you still not believe what I have been telling you, that I've come to make this world new? Here's the point. Jesus is not denying the chaos of the storm. He challenges their focus in the storm. See, they're focused on the wind and the waves, not on who's in the boat with them. And he says, why, why are you afraid. See, the difference between fear and faith is that fear focuses on the storm outside of the boat, and faith, it doesn't deny the storm going on outside the boat, but it recognizes who's in the boat. It, it focuses, it, it see, if I could say it this way, faith sees the storm, but it also sees the Lord of the storm, the one who reigns sovereign and supreme over the wind and the waves. And And can it, at a moment's notice, open up the Red Sea for his people to go through? Can it, at a moment's notice, calm the windy waves? Faith doesn't deny the storm, but it doesn't only see the storm. It looks through the storm to the Lord of the storm. And and that's what Jesus is um, challenging these guys, but he's also inviting them into something deeper. That yes, fear makes sense if I'm not here. Fear makes sense if all you have are your resources, that if the stock market crashes, it makes sense that you would freak out. Um, If a relationship that you really care about goes in crisis, it makes sense that you would freak out. But what Jesus is saying is you're not alone, that I have come into this world to make it new. And because I am here, that old response of fear, it doesn't make sense anymore. Do you still not yet have faith. And, and one of the things that I've been thinking about is, um, this is Mark chapter 4. They've seen some stuff. Um, but how much more reason to have faith do you and I have? Because we've not only seen in the pages of scripture through accurate eyewitness testimony, we've not only seen Jesus cast demons out and his power over the demonic realm, we have not only seen Jesus restore and bring physical healing, we have seen not only Jesus' power to control the wind and the waves like only God can, 
But man, we, we, we know where this whole story is headed. We, we sang about it when we gathered earlier, that we, in the face of the storms, that we sing about the resurrected Christ, that we know that Jesus, he not only has the power over these things, but where this narrative is ultimately headed is that he is going to the cross where he will be cast into the ultimate storm, where Jesus will battle with Satan, sin, and death, and come out the other side victorious so he can say to you and to me through the power of his resurrection, it doesn't matter how you've sinned. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you walk in here today. Those things do not have a claim on you. I know that Satan is powerful. I know that your own sin can make you doubt and make you think that you are worthless, but just like Jesus stood sovereign over the storm, he stands sovereign over Satan's sin and death and says, those things, be quiet. You have no claim over them anymore. I am victorious over you, and I'm telling you, you leave them alone. We know where the story is going, and so how much more reason do we have in the storms of our life to look at the Lord of the storm, to to realize who is in the proverbial boat with us? Because here's the thing. You might be thinking, well, that's easy for them. Jesus was physically standing, or I guess physically laying there, right, in the boat with them. But see, the truth of the gospel is that... um, Through dying in our place for our sins, Jesus not only removes the sin that stands between us and God, he not only defeats the powers of darkness, um, but he actively buys our place into God's family. He accomplishes our adoption. And when he raises from the dead, we looked at this in the book of Ephesians, he sends his spirit to dwell with us, to be present with us, to be with us wherever we go right now. So you and I, if you're in Christ, you actually have one up on the disciples. They had Jesus next to them. If you're in Christ, You have the spirit of Christ inside of you, reminding you, I'm with you. I haven't left you. I'm for you. I am bigger than this. You don't need to fear this. The spirit of Jesus lives in you and me. And if you will, um, God is in the proverbial boat with you today. He is in the proverbial boat. And so, um, and, and, and I would just submit to you if, if that's the case, and I keep saying, if, um, if that's the case, if you are in Christ, then that is the path to true freedom. So, so if you're here checking things out, like let, let's think about this. And if you're in Christ, think about this is what you have, okay? This is the path to true freedom. I want to read you something that Peter, who's in the boat in this story, he will write years later after walking with Jesus, after seeing the death and resurrection of Jesus, after receiving the Holy Spirit poured out upon him, like you and I have had, here's what Peter says uh, near the end of his life, or uh, many years later at least, um, in reflection on these things. First Peter chapter three, uh, excuse me, First Peter chapter one, starting in verse three, says this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, 
which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter says after years of reflection and walking with the Lord of the storms, through the storms of his own life, through his own imprisonment, and being told to shut up about Jesus or we're going to put you in prison. After years of walking through the storms of life with the Lord of the storm, here's Peter's conclusion. He says, um, true freedom is not found in not experiencing storms in life. Like, I I just have to imagine Peter's life probably had less problems before he met Jesus. Um, But he writes after years of following Jesus, and he says, no, 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 no. True life, true freedom, it's not found in being spared of the storms of life. True freedom is found in knowing Christ. And God has brought us into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the dead. He has brought us into relationship with himself. And he says, yeah, part of knowing God means that in a broken world like this, that we're going to have a propensity to focus on our circumstances and not on our Savior. And so from time to time, what God in his grace will do is he's going to let us row out onto the sea knowing that a storm is coming. And it's not because he's asleep at the wheel. It's because more important to God than our comfort is our eternal good and knowing him. And so he's going to allow these trials, but don't worry, count it all joy because all these trials are doing are refining your faith, are helping you see Jesus more clearly, are helping you love him more fully, are freeing you up to let go of the things that you hold on to that can't save you to grab more fully onto salvation in Christ. And, and that's Peter's takeaway in the end that the path to true freedom, it's not having a life free of problems because in this world that ain't going to happen. Things could be going good. You could be on the sea with a bunch of other ships thinking it's next year will be better. How many times have we said that, right? But a single phone call could change that. That is a fragile life. The path to true freedom, it's not on trying to steer clear of every storm that comes our way. It's knowing the Lord of the storms so that when the storm comes, we can say, hey, I don't know what in the world is going on right now, but I know you're going to work this out for my good because you are greater than the storm and there is no one and nothing greater than you that can take me from you, that can shake me, that can take this eternal hope I have from me because you are greater than these things. And that is the path to true freedom. That is what makes you unshakable. That is what made Peter's life unshakable and turned the world upside down. And so as we turn to respond to these things, I, I, I don't know what the storms of your life are. I, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of faces right now and I can't see all the faces on the camera, but I think we've all been through something in the last year. And some of you, you are suffering silently this morning through things that the rest of us couldn't even imagine. And and so I'm not standing up here saying, oh, I get you. What I'm standing up here is saying is Jesus gets you. That our great God and Savior left the comfort of heaven and experienced the fullness of what it means to be human. He experienced physical storms. He experienced being betrayed by his friends. He experienced being... um, killed on the cross, losing control of his body. He experienced death, the great storm that all people fear. And so I don't know what your storm is, but I know that Jesus knows and that he has risen victorious over those things and that he is greater than the storms of your life and you can trust the Lord of the storms this morning. And so I I just want to close with this story or um, 
I guess it's more of a thought than a story, but um, over the last year, I have found myself thinking this often. Um, I have found myself going, I am so scared for my kids that they have to grow up in this world. I, I don't know how many of you can resonate with that. Some of you are like, you're 30 what? How? I, I will just say, um, I long for <laughs> the days of the 90s. Like, I was just talking to someone this week. I'm like, I think everyone feels this way about their childhood, that it was just the greatest decade. And I'm just like, I wish, I wish my kids could grow up without social media and all of the madness that that entails. But there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. I wish that they could go outside and not be stuck online, not only for fun, but for school now, right? Like, I found myself over the last year feeling this gut level, I'm so scared for my kids that they have to grow up in this world where if you disagree with me, that that's violence and you hate me. Like, how are we ever going to survive? And, and here is, um, is I've been bringing those thoughts to Jesus, is I've felt that, here, here's what I can tell you. Um, True freedom is not found in getting a time machine and taking my kids back to the 1980s or the 1990s, which is like the glory days for me. True freedom is found in my girls knowing the Lord of the storm. And that is my deep desire for them as their dad, and that is my deep desire for you as your pastor, and that is my deep desire for myself and, and so, man, I don't know what the storms of your life are, but I do know that we can trust the Lord of the storms. And so this question at the end of Mark's text, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? That's the question I want to leave you with. That's the question Mark wants to leave us with. Do you know the Lord of the storms? Have you given him your life and said, I will trust you with my life. Thank you for saving me. Be my God, be my King. If not, today might be the day. And if you do know the Lord of the storms, then my question to you is, how do you need to remember who's in the boat with you this week? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who is great in power, um, that you stand sovereign over all of the things that would cause us to fret and freak out, and that you are not only great, that you are also good. That in your great love for us, you've sent Jesus to rescue us, um, to bring us into your family, to save us from our sin in the ultimate storm, to bring us into a life where even these lesser storms are used for our good because we have the best dad ever. So God, thank you for being great. Thank you for being good. Thank you for being so gracious toward us. That you don't do these things because we're awesome or we measured up or we dragged ourselves to church this morning, but you do these things because you are merciful and you love to show mercy. And so I pray for those gathered right now and I pray for myself that you would, um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see your greatness and your goodness in the person of Jesus Christ this morning. That you would help us to see through the storms of our life to the Lord of the storms and that caught up in you, we might face this thing with a type of unshakable freedom that would lead us into deeper life. So, um, so I ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, just open eyes this morning, help us to see and know and remember the Lord of the storms 
Thank you for being in the boat with us. You are a good and gracious God. We love you and ask you to do these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.